keep going. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Keep Going. In this episode, we go crazy on 90s music. So you might be thinking, why in the world does this these three guys who are ostensibly doing some kind of running-based podcast go off on 90s music? Because all three of us just love music. And we thought, as we were just getting started with this podcast, that we could go through touchstones for ourselves and the musical vocabulary that we grew up with, the things that we loved in our youth, and um, and 90s music is just so good. So we've titled this episode Brad Pitt's Honey Bear, and we're titled it this from the 1993 True Romance film that was a Tony Scott, Quentin Tarantino joint. And if you've seen that movie, then you know what the honey bear is. And if you haven't, then go to YouTube and look it up. But we thought it was appropriate for John and I's 90s. And um, we think that since we lived through them um, as sort of adult human beings, nearly adult human beings, Michael, of course, did... He was only three when the 90s started, but we, anyway, we go everywhere in this episode. We go, I mean, in typical keep going fashion, I mean, we lose the trail, we find a trail, we go somewhere else. Hopefully you guys enjoy this. Um, We had fun recording it, and I guess that's really the point. So those of you who are still jamming with us, we appreciate it if you've got comments shoot them over to me at Sisson at Telos Running S-I-S-S-O-N at Telos T-E-L-O-S running dot com and uh, yeah I guess that's it well thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode that we have titled Brad Pitt's Honey Bear 90's Music It's a nervous energy, man. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh, what do I do with my hands? Do you remember, John, do you remember the artist? I can't know, don't know his name, but he had the wonderful comic, Too Much Coffee Man. Oh, yeah. He was in the Austin Chronicle every, yes, every yes, Thursday. Yes, yes. And he had a big, his head was a, <laughs> big, was a big coffee, coffee cup. cup. And I always think of you because you love to get... Just zooted just on coffee. Totally job it up. Like now, and like I drink a cup of coffee and it does the same thing to me. Yeah. And I have to stop because if I drink coffee after like 10 a.m., like I won't go to sleep that night. Yeah. And wow. I had two nights this week where I had like an hour sleep. And so I was just, I was comatose for a couple of days this week. It was, it was really weird. And mm. it just made me think, I was telling Ivy, I was like, Michael said I should get PG tips. She was like, she was like, what? It's a, uh, I am a, I am a convert to the PG Here we go. Here comes the ad. <laughs> it's such a smooth high that yeah. it gives you on that caffeine buzz. See that, uh, And the yeah. thing is, the more, the more tips you, you consume, the, <laughs> I went to uh, Phoenicia the other day. The, oh, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. 
and they have like the OG PG tips. So I'm OG. trying to burn through my box, my yeah. my Americanized box, and, yeah. and go get the real stuff. Yeah, I I'll go every time I go to the store. Like I'll get a box of green tea, or I'll get so you know something. And I'm like I'm just gonna stop coffee and i'll switch and it never i'll drink you like gotta cups, try this and then i'm like fuck it's not working look here's we don't we like don't, you need you need to make like caffeine edibles or something i might i might send you with day. a few we, we we should send you off with a few today and then we'll talk about it next week Man. of how that it doesn't it doesn't make you jittery well the thing like my nervous system is so shot that i i i don't know i'm just at a loss you know I don't like. I don't even like the taste of coffee anymore. I mean, I do, but it's like I have to drive the kids to school in the morning. It's not safe. You're only <laughs> you're only fortifying my position. Yeah, I know. He's talking. He's talking about coffee like he's a waking baker. Like he's <laughs> like he's like he's got the bong under the bed. Or, or he's like Brad Pitt in what was the movie where he had the where he had the honey bear? Well, when he woke. When he woke up from the, you know, he's like the guy walks into his living room and Brad Pitt's sitting on his couch with a honey bear used, converted into a bong. And he's like, (laughs) (laughs) I forget what movie that was. That was the first time I think I ever saw Brad Pitt. It might've been. Yeah. He was in, um, Thelma and Louise was his first, I think his first main movie, but, um, yeah. Okay guys. So this week we decided to do something a little different. Decided to, we're both, all three super passionate about music. You guys heard already, um, Michael's been in bands. John and I have been wannabe in bands all of our lives. We're both probably frustrated lead singers, frustrated bassists. But you, you actually can play instruments. I try to. Yeah. yeah, I can do three chords in the truth pretty much, but um, that's about it. So we decided we'd kind of do something musically, and we've been bandying about a few ideas. Initially, we are going to do... Um, well, we didn't know exactly. We just decided generally music reviews, but then we didn't know what we were going to do. So we yeah. left last week basically saying, I threw out, hey, John and I are Gen Xers. Why don't we hit up the 90s? That'll give us a good idea of Michael's tastes in our like bivouac, right? right. Our, our neck of the woods, how we grew up, what we grew up with. Um, and then it has turned into a text uh, bomb <laughs> where we're texting back so and forth fun. different songs. And, you know, our initial thing was, okay, bring three albums to the table that you think are iconic. I threw a couple of ground rules. Basically, it needed to be bangers all the way through if you could. You needed to be willing to fight for it. Like, say, it didn't have to be cool, but it had to be something you could stand behind. And then... Um, and it needed to be reasonably accessible for the other two in the group yep. to decide to, to think that they may have actually heard of the band or heard of the maybe have actually listened to the album, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we came up with some pretty good options. But the biggest thing that happened was that we kept changing the rules <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, once was, you go was, into it, yeah. you realize that you it's almost it's. It's almost an impossible task to pin down what was going on in the 90s. I mean, then it starts raising some bigger questions about, like, what the fuck did go on in the 90s? Like, what what, what happened? Like, what what was I experiencing? Born in 87, living in 94 when everything was just at the culmination of the whole thing. And then trying to make sense of that, you know, later down the road, I look back on it. You guys were kind of right in the middle of it. So I, I got really 
intrigued by the cultural context of it from your vantage versus mine, all kinds of crazy different different ideas. So I, I admittedly had a hard time trying to pin down three. I played it safe at first. And then I was like, well, why would I play it safe? Mm. You know, like, why, why not talk about the obscure shit that I was listening to, uh, thinking that I had discovered like a gold gem, like Tortoise's TNT. Yeah. You know, I, I thought that I was the coolest dude around because like me and my buddy were listening to Tortoise and nobody knew what that was. But then all of a sudden in the text thread, <laughs> Steve throws out, what about albums like Tortoise's TNT? And it's like, oh, I don't know where to go. <laughs> this i would have picked um and then millions or whatever it is that has that 24 minute long dj'd song have you heard that song that song is my favorite tnt song by far but that album isn't clean enough it's too short and tnt is just all the way through amazing and two drummers two guitarists one bassist and and then you have john mcintyre just doing all kinds of weird stuff on his he was, he's bringing in samples and other stuff. And I just found it weird that you knew it and could call it up. And then oh, yeah. that, that was, to me, there was like, well, what did that album mean for you? That, that was my question was like, what did that mean in the grand? Like if we're talking about the nineties, like how did that come across your radar? Um, well, for me, I, I'll, I'll start here because I think, well, I, let me just, because we're going to go yeah, exactly. super far. You got to rein it in. already lost the trail, man. <laughs> That's okay. We've already lost the trail. So my I, bad. I had this, I, so we did come up with three albums, but I do think that this is also a really good chance for us to, to unpack a little bit of our, like our musical tastes and our musical, um, pedigrees, like where, where we come from with music so that it gives us a chance to um, for our listeners to kind of get with us because I think in the future we'll be doing not such maybe we'll do another one in the aughts and we'll do one in the te- te- teens and then we can do one from the 70s and the 60s and stuff like that but this one was so hard because really- John and I lived through it and Michael's trying to figure that out um, so I don't know I, I guess what I would say is for me for how I got to know TNT that album <laughs> all comes back for me in living in Austin, Texas to Waterloo Records. I mean, Waterloo Records is where I learned everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was already a music head. I was that kid in high school. I mean, in junior high. I mean, I I had a little tape to tape thing and I would tape what was on the radio so I could hear the song back and I was into I was already into music my dad loved music he was into musicals and stuff like that but like like we would listen to like Hall & Oates all the time because my dad had that Philly soul thing going on that he loved Um, but I've I've found a home when I went to UT I loved Sound Exchange and all the little the little the little record stores that were around the around um, UT but I didn't have any money at the time so I had no really I didn't have any discretionary income but when I graduated from college and then I lived downtown near the Waterloo Records I was living at Runtex because I lived there forever um I would go in there all the time and they had all, they had this setup where they had like five different stereo towers and they had all this music you could listen to and you can go in and you could listen to all oh, the new sample stuff. It. You could sample yeah, the yeah. whole album and play, play through. And if, and they used to have booths, like you would go into the booth and then you, they would just leave you alone. Oh, I mean, they, they wouldn't even put a timer on it. Mm-hmm. It was like somebody would be standing outside the door and then you would be like, okay, I probably should go. And you go click, 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 click through. But then you can get back in line and go all over again. And it was like, 
that was, the, I mean, I, they, I spent so much of my money in the nineties in the aughts until Spotify showed up. And then I was like, God, I got to get away from it. <laughs> how many thousands of dollars have I spent on albums? You know, it's crazy. Um, John, how did you get into like, where was your musical thought process? Cause you know, I was a frustrated artist. I yeah. wanted to be a music. I wanted to be yeah. in music, but I just didn't have the time yeah. or the patience to do it. How, what were, what were your touchstones with that? You know, I think, well, first I will, I'll say that seeing you two guys get so excited about tortoise was really amazing because that was the first time I'd even heard of the band. So my pedigree, I think is a little uh, more narrow than yours, but you know, I like the first time I can remember hearing music that wasn't like my parents music or a Sesame street kind of thing <laughs> was like in the neighborhood. And a lot of the kids were older. So it was all like Van Halen and Ozzy Osbourne and Rush, like Rush, a lot, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so that was the first stuff I heard. <laughs> and because I was, wow, these, you know, the kids were like 12 years old and I thought they were really cool. You know, they're, I was like seven or eight. And so guitar became anything with a guitar was like the center of the world. And, um, it, like I remember going to neighborhood kids house and you like the new Ozzy album came out. So everybody would gather and listen to the new Ozzy album front to back. And that was the first time, like I understood how music was like a gathering sort of thing. And then the, f when I heard, um, parallel lines from mm -hmm. Blondie, mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, new wave new wave <laughs> and so <laughs> that parallel lines i think would like yeah. would be like a lifetime honorable mention album for me mm -hmm. for sure and so i've always liked guitar rock and you know loud driving stuff but then when like i found like new wave and punk it like changed everything punk mm -hmm. particularly like black flag and all that stuff. And I think it was because I was such a, like, like, um, like at that age, I was like almost like a choir boy kind of kid. Mm. You know, I was just like nerdy and, you know, awkward, aw just awkward <laughs> as hell. I never grew out of that, but, and punk was just like, it was like rock and roll, but like better. And then the lyrics to me, it was all, you know, take the man down kind of shit. And there was a radio show. This is in Dallas. There was a radio show on one of the uh, co-op radio stations that I can't remember what night it came on, but there was like an hour. It was one of those radio stations where you could hear gospel music. You could hear um, the potato reports, you know what I mean? Where mm -hmm. it was a little bit of everything. And somehow I found this one hour punk show that was like at 10 o'clock at night, which was past my bedtime. But if I stayed up and I kept it really low, it was good. <laughs> and that, that, and so everything was just like for the rest of high school was just that genre. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I didn't get into the hair bands and all that kind of stuff. And it, and then in college, when I discovered hip hop, hip hop to me felt like punk presented in a different way. And mm -hmm. so I really started loving hip hop and the stuff that was kind of jazzy, you know, and funky and, uh, you know, the 
What year was that? This would have been like, well, I've, I first discovered hip hop in high school, but that was, I mean, that was, remember when hip hop showed up in the eighties, a lot of it now, which is still iconic stuff. But so now, like Run DMC Run DMC that point? and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah but then LL Cool J. LL yeah. Cool J. And if you were going to be that cheesy white boy, you might do some beasties who were not yeah. really rap. They were like punk rap, but punk they were rap. like, like they were like b-boy weirdo like they were weirdos yeah (laughs) and then uh but then in college it was like the groovy jazzy hip-hop um mostly because you're just stoned and that's what sounds best you know and it was also really and i still you know i listen to that stuff all the time but um and that's why tribe called quest low end theory got on your list on your top three because it's one of those albums you know and like i can never remember yeah, I can never remember song titles and stuff, but I always think about when I when we had to pick the top three, I thought about albums that when I listen to them, I always listen to them front to back. Mm. Where like, and there are a jillion songs that I love and they may be the only song on an album, right? And it was super easy in the 90s to get out of your, um, to, to click because we were listening to CDs mostly at that right. point. So if, if you could very quickly jump, skip the song, right? Yeah. When we were taped before, yep. you had to go, zzz, yeah. wait, oh, right? And you didn't want to wait. So the medium kind of yeah. dictated how oh, yeah. you So it was really album. easy to go to, to go back, forward. go fast forward and get through okay. it. And so if you listen to something all the way through, it was definitely it was, yeah. a, a masterpiece. <laughs> a yeah. year, that year's, that one of that year's masterpieces. Yeah, yeah for and, sure. Um, and music to me has always been something that I really attached emotionally to. Like remember in our text thread when I said there was there's some songs that when the al- or some albums rather that when they came out I just went all in and but because of the circumstances of when that was happening now I just can't like I mentioned a rush of blood to the head like I if that if I hear that in a gap or a grocery store or whatever I like I gotta get out but of then here. but then Coldplay's first album is still cool yeah you can still do yeah, that one st- even can, yellow like you can still yeah. go with that because with that. it because it, the low end on that album though was tight and yeah. they, they 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 went for something different they weren't a band at that point like they went from being a band Coldplay went from being a band to being Chris Martin's vocal yeah thing unlike you two who always stayed a band right, right? they always stayed a band but i can't wait till we go to the 80s i know it's gonna be i sweet. mean that's 80 87 was um 88 i think it was was um uh u2's album 88 what was uh, uh, uh joshua tree joshua tree yeah, yeah just absolutely sounds modern to this day how that happened was daniel lanois man yeah. daniel lanois daniel lanois that dude <laughs> you can pick out a daniel lanois album from a mile from away a mile away they're <laughs> yeah. so cool yeah um but music always had an emotional attachment you know like the stuff that we used to listen to on family road driving from dallas to taos in the summer or the winter and listening to willie nelson stardust mm. So Stardust is an album that automatically probably would have to go into a lifetime top three or five or something like that, even though I don't regularly go seek it out. You know what I mean? I love that you 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 said something that I think we should, both Michael and I should do. Your description of what Parallel Lines was for you, yeah. it's like the album that sort of set the tone yeah. for everything else. Yeah. Um, mine was 
um, ELO's um, Out of the Blue. Because, out of control. Because yeah. that was my dad's favorite album. And he was like, didn't do the hippie, he didn't do the Beatles thing. Right. And he didn't do the hippie thing when he was, he went to the military and then went to the church and then was it, I mean, but he got his psychedelia and his Beatles thing through ELO, which was just straight up. I mean, Golden, like yeah. Jeff Lynne's, that album, Out of the Blue, is the one that I think every single thing, whether I'm into something hard, I need anthems yeah. and I need loud soft and I need the melody to be king. It has to come through in a way that that album, if you put it on, drop that needle, because it was a needle back then, right? right. It was a double gated <laughs> album yeah. with a giant spaceship on the front of it. It was so cool. Anyway, that album is my, like everything else. My tastes got filtered through it's that. Like the genesis mm. of it all. And uh, 20 years later, my f good friend Adam Daly was like, um, hey man, you should, you should really get into the Beatles. And I never did get into the Beatles till he got me into it. And then I went deep. And I was I realized, a late Beatles bloomer as well. Yeah. And it, when I finally got into it, it changed everything. I was like, Oh, this is where the ELO got all their yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what album was it for you that you would say is like white sort of, album? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, 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 no, the album of, for you that kind of filtered the rest of your, um, music if, if you could pin, pink one out it doesn't have to just be one but. I remember going to um, I was probably around 15 16 I went to a guitar center and I was looking at recording gear because I wanted to before then I was into the jam band thing like fish because mm -hmm. I liked playing guitar and I wanted long songs to be able to like kind of jam along to and do all that stuff so Trey Anastasio and all those kind of like the lore surrounding kind of what he did right. was really intriguing to me at a very like kind of adolescent age kind of picking up the guitar and learning what it could do but then I went to a guitar center and um, was going to go get a little inbox for recording and was talking to the guy and got into kind of the quality of the recording chain and we threw on Beck's Sea Change. Oh, what and it was like, what in the fuck is going on here? So yeah, I went so in cool. and I went into so the recording 13, channel. 14, oh, at that it? time, I... I really don't remember. I think I was probably like 16, 17. Yeah, because I think it was 2001 or 2002. Yeah, that, that was that a 2002 album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I listened to it, and then I went to research kind of the recording gear that it was on. It was like Neve 1073 preamps through U47 Neumann microphones, like from, you know, yep. the, old, the old microphone tube tube era and it was like it was so warm and it hit me in stereo and I was listening on reference monitors for the first time and just hearing the album as it was and it just floored me so that kind of got me into that was the album for me was Beck's Sea Change just in terms of sonically what you could do with an album before it was just kind of me being a little bit superficial about kind of the nuts and bolts of things that went into making music or yeah. playing music or feeling it. But was there something in your dad's collection that you, or your mom's collection or that it was you my brother's collection before that? See, I'm so jealous, was, man. I was the first. So yeah, I didn't get that. Right. I never got, Oh man, I never got my brother's gear and my brother's music. My, both my brothers, like I turned both my brothers onto like 
1980s Red Hot Chili Peppers, like like Year of the Turtle and um, all that, like those yeah. first Freaky Styly and those albums. Like my brothers are still like, they never went the punk route, but they know like right. punk was coming through that channel, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, it's my like, brother had, my brother is nine years older than me and he had a CD book. And it was huge. It was massive. It was overflowing <laughs> with CDs. And I still I went have through like three it. of those. <laughs> and uh, the ones that he kind of, he told me to listen to some stuff. He gave me a Bad Religion, mm, you know, okay. album. And it was the All Ages album, 95, which kind of summed up everything they had done probably since like the late 80s into like 94. And it was amazing because it had the musical elements. It wasn't, to me, that wasn't necessarily my punk rock album that got me into punk rock. That got me into Greg... Graffin's songwriting, yeah. which was absolutely m melodic beyond all measure. It was just full of like emotion, but he also gave me um, Violent Femmes, Where Do Birds Sing? And, and I mean, those two albums are kind of in the same musical category, although they're completely, you know, yeah. sonically different. But that really set the standard. We grew up in my household listening to like Andrew Lloyd Webber shit. So like right, right, Phantom right. of the yeah, Opera yeah, yeah. and yeah. like Avita and things like that, right. which we were all about soaring melodies in the in the house that I grew up in. So we were a melody based family. We came from um, I'm not much of a I'm not a lyric guy. I'm a melody guy. Mm -hmm. Like I could I like nonsensical lyrics with the great melody. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that kind of just molded into it. But I'd say that like, where do birds him? sing and. <laughs> A lot of those bad uh, bad religion albums were kind of mixed in with a little bit of fish for the guitar stuff, and was kind of like where the genesis was. But I, I mean, any particular album? I mean, there's also Harry Connick Jr. that kind of put the funk in there because he did two albums. One one was like Star Turtle, and one was called She, and they were phenomenal. So that was like the well, and he was your neck of the woods, right? Yeah. He was yeah. he was part mm -hmm. of your cultural upbringing that yeah sort of jazz Cajun jazz sort of thing high ended, and then he was such a crooner and everybody loved oh, him because yeah. he's yeah. just like a beautiful. He's he, like all the, the girls yeah. loved him and yeah. all the guys loved him. Yeah. Like he was like yeah nobody he hair he had everything he good, but nobody was really jealous because you're like well he's just so perfect that yeah. what else could you do? Yeah, <laughs> well, and, and being from Louisiana, like you said, it's easy to be like oh he's the man. Like yeah, he was he was the man in that funk album with all the I mean the oh, the musicians on it were just on another level. So so you just checked two of your albums on your list. Um, yeah, and that was there, the so go into both though both those two albums and unpack. You did a little bit, but unpack them a little bit more, and then maybe bring your third one in, and then John, you can bring your three in, and then yeah, yeah. we'll I'll do mine, and then we'll kind of go from there because I know we would probably right now blow up our three and add new three at this point yeah. so we can kind of do that but i think we should let our listeners hear our like how we went through this journey because i think it was super they don't get to read our text thread but. yeah <laughs> well mine was i i figured if we're gonna try and create a let's call it our our individual podiums that kind of uh, of 90s albums then it was easy for me to think like Jagged Little Pill was like one that should be on the list album. and it should be that. on the list, right? right? Because it's phenomenal front to back. It's just so good. But for me, that one didn't speak to me at the time. So I tried to go back to the albums that hit me really hard at the time. So Where Do Birds Sing Violent Femmes just front to back. I mean, I remember playing that album 
over and over and over. So I tried to go towards this idea that I could play the album like you, John, like over and over yeah. and over. If, if I couldn't play it, what I, and when I was thinking about how to, how to pick, pick kind of like just a small handful of these albums, some of my favorite art artists, like even like take Beck, for example, which is like that guy kind of like hung the moon for me. So, but if you listen to like, Odelay or Mellow Gold or something, then honestly, they weren't very listenable because I found that in the 90s, a lot of people were, it was like twofold. Like they built albums based off of feel and then the music. And a lot of these artists, to, from my vantage, were building who they were, but they refined themselves musically into the 2000s. So, like, it was a. It was very difficult for me to find a front to back in the '90s. My favorite artists are from the '90s, but it was it was difficult to find front yeah, to back finding, albums that were, were kind listenable. of finding their way. You know, an album that's really like that for me that I loved at the time, but is exactly what you're describing was "Ill Communication" Beastie Boys. Yep. Because that album, there are the songs on that are unbelievable, but front to back, heart listening through, it's pretty challenging. Whereas before that, Paul's Boutique, because I was stoned out of my gourd, I could go all the way through that one and listen to the whole thing all the way through. Mm-hmm. But, but Odelay for me was something I did listen to all the time because it was a summer beach album with me and my brothers we went to the beach and it was the cd we brought and we drove there to listen to it and we when we wandered the beach we listened to it so that album when we left your house last week Mm -hmm. that was my top that was on my top three oh really but he didn't make it once i started digging deeper right probably for the reasons that you're saying well, well, for me because i found that he came into his own in later. the 2000s Correct. and i found that a lot of these 90s artists like even take you know trent reznor nine inch nails pretty mm-hmm. hate machine 87 88 89 era you could call it a 90s album right but it was an 80s album pretty hate machine but everything went with the with the downward spiral right he everything blew up with that one exactly right? so then there was downward spiral but that's not necessarily to me you that, meant 90s you said 80s yeah it was yeah 90s. so i meant yeah. i meant 90s yeah. like so pretty hate machine at the end of the 80s going into the 90s right, yeah. kind of like marks the continuum but even to this day Trent Reznor is finding i think that it's been a refinement process over time i mean these people are 20 30 years into their kind of discography now working with Atticus Ross on film mm-hmm. scores like becoming the most Trent Reznor that I think Trent Reznor has almost ever been and it's, I love watching it so a lot of coming into this I kind of was looking for artists that kind of bell curved into their style in the 90s and for for me why do birds sing violent films was the pinnacle of violent films i just think it was fabulous i i think that but they had had their heyday in the 80s though so that's where they got it at that point i mean most people know their self-titled album because everybody knows all the songs on that Mm -hmm. one but um i agree with you that album is listenable all the way through and And it's beautiful like violent films are just crazy violent films isn't it is but it's just i mean that's just a different i mean i think the violent films are so 80s that it's like they're 80s to me like Blondie's 80 like okay. Blondie's really the 80s like really the 80s to yeah. me right Michael Jackson is really the 80s to me right. I can't I don't really never did Michael Jackson in the 90s I mean I did yeah. but I didn't because that's I was, an interesting perspective because yeah. the way that I kind of 
conceptualize them was a 90s band. So that's where I was a little bit displaced from the what was going on at the time that those albums were coming out. Like I, I found them in retrospect. They, no, when you know, it was violent, like 10, 20 years after. You know, <laughs> when Violent Femmes, Violent Femmes came out, that was on every, every college radio station, every college all, radio station all, all the time. All the time. That was like, really? it okay. was in the culture. It was like, it was a, it was when college rock came to its own. That album probably. It might've been one of the, ve- the first. The vehicles yeah. for that new style that turned everything around because they were so irreverent. I mean, they were basically a jug band. I mean, yeah, for sure. Basically, they're a jug band or a what is that other one? Uh, the other kind of style that's like kind of country, but it's just anyway, I can't remember. I won't know the name of it, but they were just something different. And they were punk, but they were something different, too. So, yeah. yeah. What was the third album on your list? Well, I had um, what were the two that we were see that bad religion and yeah. violent fans so and and. In the bad religion one's easy to sum up just because musically it's just fabulous. But uh, they, they, they just put so many listenable punk rock, you know, albums out. And I don't know. I, th- I just think I love his writing. He's like a damn troubadour. But uh, the other was the Benz. Oh, yeah. Um, and obviously Radiohead kind of hits me in a few different ways because it was an angsty little part of my life. And... I remember that Radiohead represented almost a period of time to where I don't necessarily love that time in my life, you mm-hmm. know, between like the 10 to 15 year old age group. And I just was not a fan of that time. Mm-hmm. But but Radiohead kind of really met me at that point in time. We had a Radiohead cover band and um, the compositions were just off the charts. I mean, they're anthem. I mean, I mean they're, was, they're beautiful songs. Yeah, I listened yeah. to that album this week um, on like a You run. gotta want to feel some shit. Yeah. You have do. to want to feel some shit. Not only is it musical, they but it's did gonna U2 make you better go than you two. They did what you two does better than you two did it. Really, and that's an interesting. That's an interesting look on it for sure. Or there was more that grunge, that sort of, that sort of English style that turned into eventually turned into Oasis and Blur right it yeah. eventually turned into that but of course Radiohead stayed outside of all of that see to me Radiohead their heyday is early aughts I mean my favorite albums are Kid A Kid A and Amnesiac if you put both of them together they're gonna be in my in my. I think Amnesiac is better personally that, that album is their like the it's the album that was the leftoffs of it. And they, it was that period of time for them was so amazing. But then if you think about rainbow, I think about in rainbows, yeah, that's, that album that's is, where the, to me, they kind of came in. They like, that's totally. where they matured into that bell curve of like, this is Radiohead, And they weren't on the fringe just to be on the fringe. Like you could tell that what they were doing wasn't just to go buy style points. Like that was, this was who Tom York was in, in the stuff coming out of, you know, the brain at that for him was i mean that what i like about it is it's it, it, it's hard to even it's hard to even sum up there was a lot of things that were weird for weird's sake and that shit was equal parts weird but incredibly authentic you know what's interesting is that if you get to go through the 90s and you look at the greatest albums the top five for everybody all those all those music review places and all those places that put it out there okay computer is number one yeah. or number two or number three on that list and i loved that album for sure i loved that album but it didn't make my list yeah because i thought that's not the best radiohead album right. so how could it be my favorite album when i mean it's not even close to my favorite radio album i've got four of them before that one even though it's great you know it's interesting how 
I do think there's this thing about the cultural milieu yeah. Um, that, that's a great, uh, yeah, I'm kind looking of, at the list right now because I had to pull it up. Okay, computer is, is just... It's, it's on everybody's number one or number two or something like that, yeah. right? Like, for whatever reason, the you know, the Benz was like, musically, there was something else. There was an extra gear there. It was like, it's almost like Weezer's Pinkerton almost ended up on my mm-hmm. list just because we understand who Weezer is. Weezer does Weezer very well. Right. But Pinkerton was just a little bit outside of that. They had a little bit more of that Angeloid Weber shit going on. Yeah, they did. With the melody, and they took it to a different place. So that's why Pinkerton kind of spoke to me. Whereas, like, you know, Blue Album, it's like, okay, we get, like, it's it's undeniably the Weezer Correct. album. Right. But Pinkerton, for whatever reason, was just a little bit outside the wheelhouse, and I freaking love that. Like, yeah. It's, it is. And it, but if you take that okay computer album uh, if you probably my favorite radiohead song probably it was very hard to say it but that song climbing up the walls the way that song gets played if you put that on something i will literally climb up the walls and scream and i'll be a rock star at any wedding you want me to be at <laughs> yeah. like i will get up there and i will yes. scream that song to the top of my lungs and i'll be embarrassed as hell hell yeah but it's like there's like those few things that get you so john what were your three you um, gave we already got low end theory from low end theory yeah right? and low end the- like like i said earlier everything is has an emotional attachment to it because I, I I just don't know the vocabulary of like deconstructing a, instruments and all that kind of stuff. But low end theory, which is always something I'm playing, um, Battle of Los Angeles mm. is an album that you know you were talking about anthemic. Just I think they probably have better albums, but Rage that album. The it's bottom just, end on that album is so much better. Like, I feel it in my <laughs> sternum when yep. I play that album. And I just like, I, it's, Rage is just one of those bands that like, I kind like, even their stuff that I don't like, I kind of have to, I feel like I have to like it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Well, their politics were what the, those of us who were diff- disaffected white boys in right. the 90s yeah. could get in a mosh pit. Yep. And scream and yep. yell about about the disadvantaged, right? Yeah. And feel like we were a part of it. Yeah. Whereas on our day to day walk, we were, yeah. you know, driving a driving a car that would not have put us. We weren't Zach Delaroche, no, right? We, we weren't middle class white guys, yeah, exactly. But, you know, but yeah, and you know, so that is an album that I've also really loved. And then um, what was the what was my third one? I can't remember. It was, uh, um, soft Bolton, soft Flaming Bolton. Lips. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's interesting that I forgot that one. Even though I put it on there, like at, right after I put it on there, I was like, that should really be honorable mention because that one <laughs> is like, it's all, to me, it's all emotion. I'm mm. not a big fan of the band. I yeah. like their stuff. I their, The creativity and all that kind of stuff I think is wonderful. But that album is just so like in inside, you know, underneath that I maybe only listen to it once or twice a year, but when I listen to it by, you know, it's almost always I'm by myself, but then like I'm in tears, like everybody needs a Superman. Of course they do. You, <laughs> you know, know, that's and just, and, and so that album, I had to put it on there. That album the is, that album is, so I don't think that's a Violent Femmes album. I mean, sorry, a uh, Flaming Lips album. Yeah. I think that's a Mercury Rev album. 
I don't know if you guys yeah. know Mercury Rev. Yeah, yeah. But he, David Friedman was the producer of that, and right. he was he the front man. No, that's the lead singer's Coil or whatever his name. Um, Coil, yeah. something Coil. Anyway, there. But the the producer of that album made that album so different from anything else Violent Femmes ever did again. I think they did Yoshima and the Robot or whatever. I think he might have been on that Yoshi one too. Battles the Robot. Yeah, yeah. but he, the the direct the 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 producer they used for that is in my opinion the producer of the late 90s early aughts he's and he's from a band called mercury rev which put out an amazing album i think it was early aughts i can't remember but that is flaming lips filtered through this unbelievably beautiful production landscape that is just i mean that head that is a headphones album yeah and those guys were total psychedelics oh they, they were totally they into are. psychedelics but they brought it into a place that it was like pithy short accessible accessible just killer hooks and killer lyrics and killer everything yeah i love that album that that would that is definitely a top 10 one for me i mean although i say top 10 i can't fit ever yeah, all yeah, on yeah. the top 10 need, yeah the, there needs to be like you know 9a 9b 9c um <laughs> and that was the same thing why i mentioned grace because that's an album like oh i love that album it's yeah. a, out of control yeah. it like and that was the first i somehow missed live at mm -hmm. I just it never showed I'd never even heard of it and then uh Grace like I don't I was sleeping on a couch in a place I shouldn't have been sleeping or something and I somebody was playing Grace and I was like holy shit and it just like you know it's like the wailing and all that and Ivy won't she's like it's too intense you got to take the I can't listen to it's this. So yeah. It's so grunge. It's so grunge. It's so, and that was him too, right at that time. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and so that's one where I have, and it's, again, it's all attached on the inside. And so that was why it was so hard for me to come up with any list because it's like, these are all really good albums and everything, but they're not like, I think a lot of times they're albums that, yeah, those are good, but, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But for whatever reason, I was just like, I, this is, this is part of part of who I am now, you know, where you're like, oh. yeah. And that's, that's what I love, like teaching the kids, you know, in the morning when we do our drop offs at school and, you know, when we're driving around, Ivy and I really like to introduce them to the music we listen to, not because that was our music, but we also try to show them the timeline. So how this music came about, what where it came from and all that kind of stuff and it totally exposed it, it expands their horizons yeah in a way that you can't with history music is history yeah. well ivy's really good at talking about culturally what mm. was going on at the time mm -hmm. and why this band would have been writing these lyrics mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and so you know they but whether or not they actually listen i don't know but you know what's really cool like isaac will say something like Hey, uh, have you ever heard of Black Angels? <laughs> no, and I'm like, man. what? Oh yeah. He's like, can we play? And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we, we can, can play, play Black, Black Angels. Angels. And Another so great I, Austin band. I, and so there's there's that kind of thing, you yeah. know, where and we didn't even get into. I think we we all generally gravitated towards, you know, either pop or grunge or rock, but there was all kinds of shit going on that wasn't even in that vein. It's yeah. just hard to not think about the '90s when without the nirvana context and kind of what was going on yeah. there and 
I just think that there was a lot of movement in those styles. I mean, even, yeah, sorry, sorry for that, the weird little aside, but it's just like, it was, this was so difficult for me to understand what exactly the bandwidth of the nineties kind of produced. And I, it's not like, it didn't seem like, like it was like the eighties. So, cause there's this idea where the technology through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, you had you had recording technology, and that was driving pop music. So like Madonna, and it was the entry of electronic music and general MIDI, like a, a, mm-hmm. a MIDI format that was that led way to Depeche Mode, and then Depeche Mode led wave way to Nine Inch Nails, and then right. so you had all the technology driving the the sound of popular music but when you get to the 90s it was almost like oh but by the way we've got a huge grab bag of everything we've like that was the like it just seemed like it all came to a head then and you could produce and there was country albums that there was and there was money for a wide a wider swath of styles of music so there was more money and then it seemed like you know, when you look at it now, it's like, it's really hard to be, there's so much out there. It's like, there, it was exploding, but it hadn't exploded to the point where, how could you even keep track of all the things that were great mm-hmm. in a year, you know? Um, and my three albums were very hard, and I went first, so I felt like I was at a disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very kind of brave thing to do. Well, in, I just in thought I had brought it up, and I brought the 90s up, so I figured I had to own it. But um, I went with my first one was PJ Harvey's Rid of Me because that album just stripped me. First of all, she was the sexiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. She was like my sister, but my lover at the same time in my dream world. Right. And she was an ang- angry and she had, and I had loved Big Black. So I was a Big Black fan mm-hmm. and he's the producer. He produ- Steve Albini produced that album and pushed it so dry and yeah. so... It's just like that, that first song, rid of me, that dun dun did. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that it is just, and then it's musical, un- but it's raw. Yeah. It's, but it's, that yeah. album, that album is not my favorite PJ Harvey album, but I thought by led by leading, I went with that because I was like, that's the one that's going to be culturally, it, it, that is her, that will be the, that is their, her okay computer, but that's not my favorite PJ Harvey album. My favorite PJ Harvey album by far is to bring you my love because it is straight swamp blues. It is her coming into being a woman and not a girl. It's like that. And I'm a huge PJ Harvey fan. I've been a fan of hers. I think she's an underappreciated artist throughout. And she was fully formed in her first album dry. And all she did was just shed one skin and put on another. And I'm, I'm, she's just, completely huge fan and all of her I mean in the in the 2000 right before 9-11 she put out a New York album um, that I think has song to song is one of the better albums of the of, of the aughts that I wouldn't put on my list but it's just stand down and I don't think a lot of people really give PJ Harvey her I think a little bit for me it was like not only did I think that album was great? But I also think she, as an artist, she represented the nineties in a way that doesn't get represented. Yeah. And she was in all of it, right? She was in through all of it. And she had an affair with 
with Nick Cave too. Right? Like, so you like got this whole other thing going on with it. Who brings in another whole late '80s birthday right. party crazy psycho world into then? At the end of the '90s, he's writing a love album to P.J. Harvey, which is unbelievably beautiful, incredible album. That like the Boatman's Call is like classically beautiful and great. And anyway, so I just that, that's why I picked her. Who are my other two? I can't even remember now. I know that's why this is so great. You, um, who would I who did I stick to? I went with. Um, I have it right here. It may take me a minute. Let's see, my brain is farting. You're acting like me now. I am. Um, it's because I went so far afield since then. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, this is. I mean, we we went who into this. We went into this project knowing. That it was kind of futile and it was just going to be, um, wait, wait, okay. You said rid of me, crooked rain. Crooked oh, crooked rain, rain wild, crooked rain. Wildflowers. Oh yeah. yeah. Of course. So yeah. yeah. So what I tried to do with that list was to go with my, my bleeding heart, mm -hmm. like indie while, uh, while also saying that that woman stole me right. I and mean, she made me, it, I, I wanted to be like worthy of her in right. some weird way right so strange yeah crooked rain crooked rain was my people like that's me mm -hmm. on a stage playing crazy i couldn't play instruments but i know i've got a musical soul that would make music that would be crazy and that's what i would make yeah. like slanted and enchanted is really cool and really interesting yeah. but it you it is crooked rain crooked rain is bangers all the way through put it on and it goes stylistically all over oh, everywhere yeah. and i loved that album i turned so many people on to that and it, i remember the play i was in alamosa colorado and i drove to colorado springs to get that album and listened to it on the way back and then lived with it for like three months straight just like just just <laughs> ate it I've up had like to, lived yeah. that album i listened to it so much that spotify wouldn't stop playing it on every <laughs> single thing that I was trying to, I would try and get away from pavement, like yeah. suggested listens to almost Spotify ruining it for me because I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, John it's like, I'm tapping out. Yeah. yeah. And then it would throw it back in on every single playlist. But now if I, you know, if I could, if I could trade one out, right, I would trade uh, not a pavement album out for Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, but a Steve Malkmus and um, Dave Berman album, um, American Water. I don't know if you guys know that. They were Silver Jews at the time. That uh, album is unbelievable. And it's that was late 90s and it stole my heart. And I might put that one in there for it. But um, And then finally, Wildflowers, because I've always been a Tom Petty guy. So I, me and my brother were Tom, were Tom Petty hits me because he was that gutter punk South, that gutter punk Florida dude who like went out to LA and made it. And yep. then in that year, and those in that album is, I don't know. I think that album is would be on my top five albums of all time. Period. Um, and I would take it out of the '90s and just say it's the best Tom Petty album. And yep. a lot of people would totally disagree with me, but and I get why they would. But it's him at his finest, and he'd just gone through a divorce, and so he, or he was going through a divorce, and you can feel the raw. To me, you can feel the music saving his life. Yeah. And he made now, then he ended up making a couple more out great albums after that. None of them were quite as good as Full Moon Fever and then going through into that, into Wildflowers. But Wildflowers is, I don't know if you've listened to that album all the way through, but Cabin in the Woods, find me a better song that doesn't, that has the most fucking killer groove that you can find. Yeah. 
and and then it has my probably my favorite song of the 90s on it um i mean i know i already mentioned one of them being climbing up the walls but um what's it called uh on that album my brain is farting drink some pg tips <laughs> anyway it, it, it doesn't really matter that that those are my three um but i have a new winner oh wow but I'm going to save it for later. What? I so think we, we, have should, a, we brought I think in we the should. Dark Horse? <laughs> yeah, because I forgot about it. And then I listened to it the last two days on repeat, and it's... What about They Might Be Giants? Love that album. Flood? Which one? Flood? Flood. Is that where Apollo, we were going? Yeah. Like, I mean, yep. any any of them. I mean, like... But they were so twee. To me, there's the twee element to them that's just hard so to take. But they were so 90s. Like, they were. It was like, there was this, like, tongue-in-cheekness of the whole thing that, that I... I just think it's the craziest little era of music. I, I actually really liked the deep dive into yeah. it. It brought me back to um, what made me want to be a musician in the first place. And it was the lo-fi kind of response to the 80s that yeah. the 90s brought that put me back in it. Like why I was more of a fan of Nirvana Unplugged mm then even never mind at the time i resonated with unplugged big time but like i mean i don't i don't know it was just see grunge was was my punk yeah because i got to get my angry young man out and remember grunge at that time to me covers a wide range oh yeah you've got nirvana that starts it off really i mean you could argue that other bands started that off you know you could even go back to like English bands like Gang of Four that kind of get that right. kind of thing started. But you can't. And then Fugazi comes through and they're like, not really punk. Nirvana they're punk, was, but they're. Nirvana was the one that made grunge uh, go. Go. Yeah. I bet. Like, it was the first radio. And then Pearl Jam yeah. made it more melodic. Right. And then Super Soundgarden made it heavier. Yeah. And then Allison changed fucked it up where you had this yeah. dude who was just totally <laughs> fucked up and they have the unbelievable killer songs. Um, but all that leads into my. To my album, okay? So this is, and this is probably going to blow you guys' minds. I don't even know if you know this album, but in mid nineteen, in the middle of 1995, in the summer of 1995, an album comes out, and this band had been ridiculed prior to this because they put out a Southern Fried rock and roll album, but at the last minute- Pantera? They, no, at the last minute, they threw, <laughs> they threw a song on there that had a video- Cowboys from Hell. That had a video with a B on it, Oh, what? oh, okay. You're gonna remember this band, yeah. So, I know exactly. and the song is well, that was their first album, yeah. Okay, this Blind Melon, Blind Melon, oh, oh and their first album was Southern Fry, but um, no, no, the first album, I forget the name of the first album, but their second one is Soup. So, soup, this soup is was amazing. Soup God. is my number one Damn, album of I, the 90s. I discovered Soup at UT, yeah, and it was. That was very, very the the aperture opened up even even further. So they, this is this is what makes them so amazing is that they so Shannon Hoon comes from Indiana. Mm -hmm. He was he lived in the same hometown and was really good friends with Axl Rose. Axl, oh. so he's from the same place Axl Rose is, but he's not that kind of musician. And he finally comes out. He's got this amazing voice. Anybody that knows right. him, that he is just idiosyncratic, crazy, amazing voice. They make that Southern Fried album, which sort of really weird. It's like like a grunge. That out their first album was like a grungy Leonard Skinner. Right. 
Um, and then they put that one song on it. They went off huge. And then they, they made this album in New Orleans at Kingsway Studio, which mm. is Daniel Lanois' studio, but he didn't produce it. Um, and it, it, that album is the weirdest, strangest, most amazingly beautiful album as it mixes that Southern Fried sound. It mixes um, acoustic, uh, <laughs> it, it mixes everything. If you haven't listened to that album, I can't. You're talking specifically about Soup? The that, album that, Soup. Yeah. It, From start to finish, yeah. I listened to it like 10 times the last few days. I also listened to, over and over again, Anima from Anima from Tool. But so many people, they that was just me. Like, I realized later that was like me and my angry young men. And then when I listened to Soup, I was like, no, this is the actual winner. Yeah. Because it's right in the middle of the 90s. It has both that grungy thing, but then it also had the indie thing. And it had this guy. And he died too months after he made that album and mm. you and we never got to hear the rest of and that band imploded yeah and not because all the, all of the musicians in that band were amazing but they didn't they didn't have anywhere to go because they were the b band like they were that yeah. that that and it, it just it's a sad sad st sorry state of affairs but to me that album is one i can stand on and say that's a great album all the way through i don't know that everybody and and it was panned by everyone yeah everyone hated it yeah well, how many people saw that video <laughs> and like this, this band, I, yeah, I really like this band. And then they go play the album and they're like, what, what the, the hell is it? And then their next album has all, I mean, it, it, it sea changes. Those guys have a Middle Eastern song, like Middle Eastern th minute long section in the middle of something that then turns into a grunge song, goes right into a grunge song. Then it turns into like a delicate acoustic battle. And then, and then his lyrics too. I mean, the guy he's talking about serial killers and his addiction and he talks about there's an out song called new life where he's talking about being a new dad but he's like this woman says she's having my baby and you're like oh well, so you're happy about being a new dad but you like it was it's just this like oh, it feels like 90 it totally yeah. feels 90s to me yeah and um anyway that that's my final pick i know i cheated no, I, I think cheated. that's a good one. A, a good one. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to do it. I don't know if yeah. I can pick, John. Like, I, 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 I just don't. I don't. I don't have it. And I like that. I can't. I personally am having a hard time doing it because I am looking at it from almost like a historian lens as opposed to I lived right. it. Now, I right. could talk about the 2000s because yeah, those yeah, things were like this came out and I was doing it. I don't know. I just... Well, that's what we'll do next. It's something like... The, I mean, that, that's a crazy little era, but... Yeah. I mean, there's so much. There's yeah, so much in the aughts. Like, it's going to be hard to go there, but... I have no recollection of the aughts. Well, we... You know, one thing that's really... really of the what? <laughs> no recollection of the aughts. Well, you I could have, just freestyle off of I us. Mean, I do. Actually, you will. Because you... 708, I was all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited about the aughts because I have my like one of my favorite bands who's made their best album all through the aughts and they're still making incredible music. It's like, I can't wait for that one. So yeah, it's, this is, it was really, it was a really fun one. I mean, the nineties, man, the nineties, like I, I, you know, also follow up here with, um, I saw a movie. I talked to you guys about this, a documentary about, um, Lala, about, uh, oh, movies. Yeah. yeah. About, um, Woodstock 99. Yeah, yeah. And I told you guys how hard, how much that broke my heart because I was like, that's my era. And I watched these young men act like completely, like just, like I feel like that Gen X, my Gen X generation, I kind of 
came into understanding us. We were really the first lost generation. We were really a lost generation that didn't have grounding. We, we knew that we were in trouble from an economic standpoint. We knew we were in trouble from a from a climate perspective. We couldn't hold on to our parents' point of view, but we didn't really have anything else. We could only just make music, follow our passion, or become a real estate agent or a stockbroker, <laughs> right? Like you, like you only had a few options there yeah. to like either go hardcore and go for money or go be an artist. And that movie, that documentary just, just crushed my, just made me realize how empty a lot of the nineties were, yeah. but how meaningful because it was my era. Like right. it was my, I, I watched a few uh, uh, YouTube videos, like watched a whole Rage Against the Machine um, a concert video and just looking at that mosh pit and thinking that's the only way that Gen X guys got to have an initiation. Yeah. My initiation happened in a mosh pit. Yeah. Like that's, that's crazy to think of. Like, no, I'm not saying that anybody in the aughts, like, and I'm not saying that Michael had any different, anything different. Like where's his initiation? Like, how does he get that kind of thing? Because right. in the pit, in a mosh pit, it was definitely initiation. I mean, you got the living shit beat out of you, but it was for no good reason other than you love the music right. and you just wanted to be there banging away. And I'm a, I mean, I'm a tiny guy. I'm like five, seven, yeah, one thirty. <laughs> I would not want to be in a mosh pit with that dude. <laughs> well, I would also turn my bread. I would literally go to animal mode. Like it was just yeah. Then animal I, mode. I wouldn't be in the that's the other thing. next to you. That's the other thing about the nineties is that we had mosh pits. I don't yeah. know if you had mosh pits. Did you have mosh pits, uh, Michael? No, I mean you know what it is though, right? Like it's yeah, a scrum. Was a little bit of a shut off. I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I liked listening to the music. I've I've never been accustomed to, to large crowds of people. So I don't know. I think I was never initiated at a at a concert, I don't think. The first mosh I can, pit I was ever in, I was probably like fifteen. And when I was fifteen I looked like I was nine, you know? Mm. And used a fake ID to get into a bar in Deep Ellum in Dallas. And after about 30 seconds, I was so petrified that I was going to die that I went and stood outside the bar because I was like, this is not healthy at all, but it was so much fun. I kept going back and it, it was how like, and like I said, I was borderline choir boy in a lot of ways. And it was the only way I could get out aggression other mm, than like yeah. endurance athletics. That's what I meant. I mean, yeah. it's like, there was this place, the craziest mosh pit. I was ever in in my life was in Sunken Gardens Theater in San Antonio, Texas, seeing Rage Against the Machine. And the, oh, but that wasn't it. The opening band was the Butthole Surfers. Oh, golly. And in the middle of the show, he's walks out onto the stage with a shotgun. He puts whatever those are, blanks. What are the blanks? Uh, not blanks, but um, there's not, wait, you, anyway, just to make the sound, right? right. He, he, he shoves the, cartridges in clicks it up points it into the crowd and fires and we're like (laughs) 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 we thought he was shooting a shotgun there were blanks or whatever it is that you put in there that like that i don't know what that shit is it was like it was like oh my god it was the craziest that's ever like it was like i hear stories (sighs) about you know butthole surfers and i'm like what the hell what did how did how did 
this happen? Like <laughs> that's a that's a Texas band, man. Those guys are what is Dad is a kids show host. That's <laughs> so awesome. And did way too much LSD. Like that yeah, was like yeah. that. Like all the most of the bands I saw, they probably did some LSD, but they were mostly mushroom people, or they would try other. I mean that that band, like, those acid head folks. Um, they were crazy. I mean, that Violent Femmes, a lot of ways, were kind of that style. I mean, not not butthole surfer style, right. but but that's where Soft Bolton is such a classic pick, John, because it like just pulls in that what they are at a core, like what what we all were at a core yeah. at that time. It's just like disaffected, sad, but beautiful, beautiful, beautiful music. And there's a sad. That's a sad yeah. album. Nineties where it's hard on on the sleeve. And, oh yeah, for and sure. That's, it, in, in a different. And it couldn't hide behind all of the synthesizers and everything. Like it was an era where people were like, you know what? We're just gonna we're gonna do it. To like be, we're gonna throw it out there. Yeah. To be too cool for school, you had to go hard in the paint. Yeah. Like so you couldn't like wallflower to be too cool for school. Right. You had to bring something to the table. You had to bring aggression or intellect or Liz um, Fair. Something. I like that pick, John. Oh yeah, that was I a mean, great that one. Is such Except a good album. Yeah. Um, exit from exit, Guyville. Ex- exile from Guyville. Ex- yeah. yeah. It's, it, I, and I was never much of a Liz Fair kind of. Well, that was her y- classic. You know, she never really did anything quite the same after no. that. Yeah. And then, but I, I started listening to it and, and, and was just like, cause I, I, I knew like the songs mm-hmm. and, um, like fucking run. And, and it was like, well, let me listen to the album that was on. And it blew my mind. I listened <laughs> so to good. it three times back to back. To back to back to back, yeah. You know, it's like this. To me, that's kind of when I think about the '90s. I think about I think about that. But I love that pick that you threw in there. Uh, that was an album where um, I remember being on road trips with friends, and that album was always on, and it was just. And at the time, I thought Liz Fair was just so cool, and she was, she was just a badass. <laughs> yeah. and, it's kind of like the. PJ Harvey, I had the same dis like I had the same kind of outlook on PJ Harvey, and I got your style coming in through. That's where I liked those two picks a lot. Or mm-hmm. in the text thread of Steve, I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then John, I was like, okay, so that I have makes a, a huge, lot of sense too. Huge Anglophile thing. I think it's from Jeff Lynn and ELO. It's like mm-hmm. I we didn't even talk about the 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 big fight of the '90s with Oasis and Blur and their whole oh, thing. Yeah. I would love. I mean, I'm definitely blue collar, so I was an Oasis guy, not a Blur guy, but. Uh, you know, we don't even we didn't even talk about them. I mean, we didn't even talk about my one of my very favorite guilty pleasure albums, of Urban Hymns, <laughs> from from The Verve, yeah. which is like most people can't but, stand it. Like, it, but you know what? When you start it, it's like, yeah, it's a great album, and I that was a my Eugene, Oregon album. I was I would drive back and forth from the campus in my little UVW, VW Fox, put that on. It was rainy and cold. And, um, you know, we, the, the other album that we all three just jived on was, um, which we talked about before we rolled them. We should probably just mention is alien lanes from guided by voices because Michael, tell the story, like what, what, what happened in our text thread and how weird that was the synchronicity that was, occurred. <laughs> well, we were talking that one day we'll publish the text thread. Yeah, maybe so. Under explicit kind of reading <laughs> content. But um, I was driving to, to work that day and I had been on the on the Liz Fair kind of repeat. And then and I got in, and I was like, man, let me let me go back into my favorite production styles and lo-fi and threw on 
Guided by Voices and um, Alien Lanes and Steve comes in like an hour later and, he, and you were talking about it and I was like it it's so weird to I, I was grumpy that I couldn't w- add these other albums yeah. on like I was like oh why can't I put on this one and, and then you were like holy shit yeah because <laughs> to me it, it's significant because I thought that these were so far out and for you guys they were barely accessible yeah so that that to me sums up the whole conversation is it's like i think that album to me sort of sums up that period like maybe a two or three year period Mm. for me because that you know there were a whole bunch of new bands i was picking up around the time and that album is just it may be like sort of the album that represents a two or three year period there because it was just it was ubiquitous for me just sounded so great it was recorded on a i think i I tried to look up the exact model model i couldn't quite figure it out but i do believe it was a four track tascam porta studio recorded straight to cassette tape yeah i read something about it that that it cost them ten dollars to record they had some radio shack microphones in one article i read i was like this is bad they said they spent more money on beer than they did on the production of the album but i think i think um what's the guy's name he he's like robert pollard robert Robert pollard Pollard. i believe he owns the guinness world record for like max songs published. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's like thousands of songs published (laughs) and they're all like a minute and a half long. No, this, I just think that that's this dude also in the nineties when he came out, everybody that we watched when we saw live shows, they were all young. Yeah. This guy was 36 year old. Like gives me hope. Elementary (laughs) school teacher. He was an elementary school teacher. And then in the week on the weekends, he would crank out these songs in his, in his garage getting, shit face drunk in Dayton, Ohio. Like, and then John and I, John, when you, when you, we mentioned that John says something about, yeah, practice your high kicks because John and I seen him live and he oh, wow. put on this crazy Dude, show. Yeah. That's awesome. Where he would just do these crazy high kicks. I didn't get kicks. that reference. That's cool. He would, he would come out and he would just be like, like never look at the crowd either. He like would have his back to the crowd and he'd be drinking Pabst Blue Ribbons like one right after the other. <laughs> um, of course, the songs are one and a half minutes long at most. Yeah. Some of them are 45 seconds. And so he's got a ch- well, chance to do that, you know, but he's beer soaked, beer all over, everywhere, sweaty everywhere. Sweaty. He was ugly and swarthy. <laughs> he was an ugly, swarthy God. dude. He would wore like, like, like bad, like, like slacks and a, like, I don't know. He was just a crazy, crazy dude. That was, and when you saw him live, you're like, okay, this guy is not too cool for school. This right. guy's just living his life on yeah. like he's got his sixties musical jams on his sleeve. He's just playing you the songs that he wants you to hear, and then he's just going after it, after yep. it, after yep. it. Yeah. This is gonna be a hard one to give up. This this topic. Yeah. I'm gonna wanna keep going. Well, maybe you know. maybe, you know, we do, you know, every sixth episode or I don't know, you know. We'll see. But it's it is. <laughs> it's it's way fun and it's super easy to just go off the rails and that that's why it's so much fun i also think it's gonna make this listening experience whoever the people do decide to join us on this um 
I think this is something missing in the podcast world is people willing to just like go different directions. Yeah. And as long as we stay in our lane and we know what we're talking about, we'll be okay. You know, yeah, I haven't even thought about what people would think about listening to this. I mean, I we named, I mean, maybe some folks will be like writing some things down, be like, I'm going to go check this out. I don't know how people are going to identify with yeah. listening to this one. So this is a running podcast, kind of. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but we're three dudes who have a lot of other interests. One thing that yeah. is for sure, we'll definitely be hitting music up a lot because all three of us are crazy about music. Yeah. So, um, well, thanks guys for listening to us. We appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we don't know which episode this will be, but it'll come. Um, oh, I wanted to say we, we released our first episode, our trailer out. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people hear this, they'll probably be hearing this a couple months after, a month or two after the fact. But uh, we've got some listeners, guys. That's awesome. We've got some listeners. Not a lot. I but we've got some I listeners. Had a couple people shoot me messages and go, uh, "What's this?" <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, That's cool. So that was really cool. Yeah, I think it'll it, it'll be interesting to see if it grows on people. I think yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm actually so. interested to see if you know. It, it got me thinking about like what's we can oh, shit podcasts. You know, like I, I, how what. What's what's going on with them? What do we <laughs> what's the deal? What's the deal here? Are people listening anymore I, in I their cars? Because I think it's kind of a car thing now. Oh, it is. And a lot of people got into the self help stuff, including myself. Mm-hmm. So, like, are they listening? I, you to know, what? I, I cannot listen to podcasts in the car because I don't think it's safe. Like, I can, I can listen to music all you day just long. Go, I can you, talk to people. Well, when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm like. You have to listen. You really have to listen, if unless you're like doing dishes and you just need something. I think we're gonna pull I in. Can't, a... I can't. Well, I can't do two things at once anyway. And then listening to a podcast and driving would just not be safe. I love mm. podcasts. I listen to lots of different podcasts, but I don't listen to any running podcasts because mm. I'm too in that world. So I am interested to see, and I record multiple. Podcast running podcasts. I've got this one. I've got two others that I also. This one has three times the listeners already that the other two have, but I don't do them. But I think what the deal with podcast is, is that there's a new medium where you can get up to speed on something Mm -hmm. and you don't have to make a super long commitment for it. Right. Or if you're into a deep dive, you got some of people are making two and three hour long Mm -hmm. conversation podcasts. And some people are making, 20 minute long or 10 minute long little short things. I think it's, it'll be interesting. It, you know, it's been going on for a while and I think it's starting to morph. Um, and some of the people who can, you know, anybody can do one. That's the really cool thing about it. But some of those who realize that they're only doing it because they thought they were going to get 150 or 5,000. That's what's refreshing about this one for me is I really don't care about the, the, the metrics. You know, I live in the metrics world right. and, and the, this one just doesn't, See, I'm I like, if people resonate. I don't even think about it as a podcast. I, I think if I did, it would be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. That's I, because you're not putting it up and well, of course, yeah, listening the, to it. I'm doing the least. I love John. I'm doing, well, no, cause I'm doing the least amount of work yeah. of anybody here, well, but yeah. like I'm turn I'm talking about in terms of conversationally, like if I thought about it as a podcast, I wouldn't be able to yeah, like, I think just that's, sit here and talk. We'll just, we'll close that down. Like, uh, yeah. I'm glad you do think of it as just a conversation. And really it is a conversation. Cause if you go and listen, I know you probably won't go back and listen to any of them, but I listen to all of them. And, 
Um, it's the first time I've ever listened to podcasts that I've created because yeah, all all the other ones that I did, either somebody else did it or I don't care. So I just cut it, um, mix it quick. Um, make sure it doesn't sound too crazy and I just put it's it been, out there. It's, it's been very therapeutic for me. I mean, I, li- I probably listened to the intro maybe three times and, you know, I had to come to terms with, I think I talk too much. and But then it's like, oh, yeah. no, do that. So I, I kind of, I'm using it as, as a little bit of a uh, kind of land on my personality and just kind of uncover the yeah. full me. Right. You know, without yeah. too much judgment. So that's yeah. that to me, this has been therapeutic. Well, and I think you have the most to gain from the podcast itself anyway. Not, I mean, I think Atreyu has the most to gain from the podcast because I think in a lot of ways, people will want to see you and they'll also want to see what it means to be a shoe designer. That's what I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Every podcast I've been on has been coaching and running related around coaching and performance right. and things like that. To, this is why I'm so excited. That's why I pushed so hard to have these conversations. Yeah. Because I wanted to be in a room with the two of you so we could go wherever we went. And we just created an hour and 15 minute long podcast about music with enough from the 90s. And we didn't no really come out with running. We didn't even really complete the mission on that one. I don't know is, that we, yeah. yeah. We, I mean, I think we each gave our list, yeah. but kind of like, cheated well yeah each of them had asterisks and you know it's like oh yeah here's my list but before i tell you what it is let me tell you the 10 other things that probably needed to be on it right well yeah and you know it made me think about just like how much i've missed like just sitting down and hanging out Mm. because one as a father of a couple kids there's automatically a reduction in available time and then the current situation is like, I'm at home most of the time, right? And so it's really rare that I get to, and so sitting and talking with two other people with really active minds and it just makes, it makes the day, you know, it's sort of like the high point of the week. Me too. Yeah, Me too. I really enjoy it. It's cool, man. 